Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access, where you get an inside look at the great coaches, student athletes, alumni, and supporters that make Long Beach State Athletics so special. I'm your host, Rob Clark, Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Relations. Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access, where you get an inside look at the great coaches, student athletes, and alumni, and supporters that make Long Beach State so special. Uh, today we're joined by our women's golf head coach, Joey Cerule. Uh, Joey's entering his seventh season here at, at uh, Long Beach State, and is eight, he is the eighth coach in the 43-year history of the golf program. Joey, how are you doing today? I'm great. We, uh, we want to get to know you. So here we go. You ready? Fantastic. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, so when did you first pick up a golf club, and how did you develop your love of the game? Uh, fifth grade. Um, we, a couple of buddies of mine from middle school, we all kind of got together and we were big baseball guys, um, kind of picked up a golf club to see how it would be in, you know, typical baseball fashion. We had this huge slice and I uh, thought we could hit the ball really far and went to the driving range, just had a kind of blast with each other. Um, but we did that at Hartwell and we ended up getting involved with the junior golf program that was there. Um, for those of you that are in town, that the, the red shirts that are there every Friday, we ended up being a big part of that. Um, and graduated through that entire program there. And, and so uh, Bev Brines, who was the director of that, really got me established into the game itself, pushed me to get better every day. Um, my elbow went out for baseball, so pitching was, was done and out in high school. So golf became the, the forefront of my attention, um, got me to where I am today. I, I coached for the junior golf program. That's where I kind of started in, in that aspect of things. And, um, you know, Bev pushed me to get better every day, got me in through college, started playing at, at Concordia when I was there, ended up becoming a coach through them, and kind of here I am today. So well, Now walk us through um, from the moment you picked up a club, and now the next step you, you become a coach at, with <laughs> junior. How, how, well, especially with the junior golf association, I mean, how did you – get involved, um, and, and then what does that entail in terms of coaching with them as well? So the Long Beach Junior Golf Association, which is still a junior, um, is still there, uh, it's run very, very well. It's, it's a fantastic thing through the city that's, that's still run, and it was one of the largest in the you know entire state for a long time. Now golf's blown up through the club game and through like AJGA and things like that now, but back when I was growing up, that was really the only thing in town, so everybody was joining and becoming a part of this association. What was hard is, is as the players got older um, and you got into high school, they became a little disinterested in it because it was a it was a younger age group, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. For us, it's 16, 17, and hardly any 18-year-olds of graduates in high school. There were very few of us still in the program. There were four of us, really, who went through it and actually graduated through that area. Um, so we kind of became the leaders, the captains, the established veterans, so, so to say, of this association. Bev always taught us to give back to those that we could. So she ended up having us come back and teach the brand new juniors coming in and hold clinics for them, do rule stuff for them. Um, we'd help run the tournaments, be a part of them. We'd probably end up winning them, which was nice too to have that. But um, that was where you know the the establishment of serving and giving back. We we learned through Bev through that association through the city, and we kind of became involved that way with everybody from all the different golf courses from Skylinks and Eldorado and all the GMs and things that were out there. So we, we became a part of Long Beach golf for, for such a long time and, and at an early age for myself. So I've been in Long Beach golf since fifth grade for me. That's great. Now, now you made the transition. Uh, you coached high school as well. So yep. talk, talk to us how you went from 
coaching junior golf to high school and then on to to where we are so at concordia they didn't have a a squad i became kind of an individual player i used the money that the school gave me and, and entered into some tournaments as an individual there um i i created a program my junior senior year um, which they didn't fund enough, oddly enough, as being a small school. <laughs> and then the year after I left, they ended up starting it. So that's where I got my collegiate career going. My senior year of college, I ended up going back. My good friend had become the, the head coach at St. John Bosco High School where he went, and he brought me in to coach his JV guys. That very first, So my senior year of college, I was doing that. So I had at least a, a year of, of somewhat coaching you know, uh, players at that point in time. And then Concordia ended up calling me back a year after I graduated and said, we took your proposal, we added a women's program to it, would you coach both of our squads? Um, my original thought process was, no, I've still got a year left of eligibility, can I come play? Um, and they said, actually, we'd prefer you to coach it because you know the ins and outs better than anybody else right now. So um, I had met my wife, or my current wife, my only wife, at this point in time, in college. I had given up the option of playing at all for a career started a business since I had, you know, met Sarah at that point in time, I figured, all right, coaching is, um, a pretty good avenue to start. And that's where the career ended up going from there. So I spent four years figuring out how to, how to coach at the collegiate level. I was really good at coaching the men early cause I knew how to coach men. I had no idea how to coach women at that point in time. And my biggest mentor growing up in my young collegiate career was Sue Ewart, who happened to be the coach here at Long Beach state at this time. So I sat with Sue a lot for two years on the ins and outs of establishing and having a well-run women's program, and a lot of my philosophies have stemmed from her. So I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of what she did for me. And speaking of, how, how did you then become the coach here at Long Beach State? So um, my fourth year into coaching, um, I obviously had talked with Sue quite a bit, um, the current men's coach at the time had I had reached out to him about a player from the area to come play for him. I was doing a, a favor for a good friend, and became involved with him just some, through some emails and some some phone calls, talking with Sue. And then I, I heard out from both of them that Sue was going to retire, um, so the women's program was going to open up. Sue and I had chatted about you should apply, and kind of see where it goes. The men's coach and I had become good friends as well, so we each shared the same kind of vision. Being a, a home guy, I was grateful to try and get back into Long Beach and be home again. I was living in Corona at the time. Um, so to be able to do that would be huge. And it ended up being a really good fit. And I interviewed well with with our current or our former AD and and Cindy Maisner. And it's just been a, a pleasant you know, surprise for all of us to get back here, but I'm home and that's what I feel like. It's just been fantastic. And talk to us about being home. What, what does this mean to you and why is Long Beach state such a great place to coach? You know, it's, it's family. It's a big D one competitive athletic program and I love it to death, but you know, all the head coaches get along with one another. We, we support each other as much as we possibly can. We go out, we share ideas. You know, there's no egos here. It's, it's, we do so much with what's given to us. We'd love, for all of you who are listening out there, we'd love more to be given to us if we can. Um, but we do absolutely as much as we possibly can with what we have in front of us right now. Um, and, and that's the kind of ethic that I love to be able to get. I, I, you know, let us be the underdog a little bit and then come out and fight like crazy. And that's our team in a nutshell. So many of our fans maybe not haven't been out to see the team perform and, and maybe don't quite understand the concept of, individual within a team concept 
Can you talk us through college golf, how this works with the individual concept within a team structure? Sure. It's it's a very, very individual sport, and for four years of their from childhood to adulthood, so we're in the transitional phase in college, we, we put them in a team environment, and they have to work with one another in order for the team to succeed. Now, we also preach individually, if you play well, the team will do well. So you're doing both, but they have to be able to support each other on top of it. So um, in our standpoint, as they're growing up in high school, they're playing in individual events, and they can win it, That's and that's the only way. In high school for themselves, it's difficult. They play in a team environment, but there's really usually only one or two legitimately very good players, but they have they carry six on the starting varsity squad. The the top one or two are completely segregated from the other players. I mean, they're they're so much better than they are, so it's it's difficult to compare. In the collegiate level, you're playing with, you know, eight, nine, ten players that are of the same caliber as you are. So it's the first time they've ever been a part of an entire team environment where they're all just as good, if not better, than you are. So you've got this competition amongst one another, vying for an individual spot to play on the starting team. Um, and in college, it's five. So five will travel and be a part of your scoring for the team. You count the best four scores each round. And it can be it can be a different four each round that you play. We usually play three rounds every tournament. Um, some days it's 36 holes. We play all days. We play two rounds in one day and then finish up the next day with the last round of the tournament, or we'll extend it over three days and play uh, 18, 18, 18. But it's usually almost always a 54-hole event that we play. And you, you take your best score, and you kind of see where you lie against the rest of the teams that are in, in the field. It's no more matches. It's no more head-to-head stuff. We we do a couple of duels for fun. Like we have a, the black and blue against mm-hmm. UCI that we still do as a duel, um, which takes all of our players back to their high school days. It's kind of fun nostalgia for everybody. Okay. But every other event we go to, you've got at least 12 teams, if not 15, from all across the country, and you're all competing for three days in the same golf course. Um, there's no scheduling for golf. It's it's extremely rare to see that. The only event I have to play in every year is the Big West Conference Championship. After that, it's completely up to the discretion of the coach and invitation per other coaches to get into different events throughout the year. So. You're trying to challenge your, your team and play the best type of competitive schedule that you can, but you also want to throw in events that you can see some success so your team kind of you know has the, the nostalgia and the, the environment of being able to win and how to close out an event, but you also want to push them in, in a field that's a little bit stronger. So it's a balance. And just like any other coach, you're looking at the rankings closely as yep. well. Talk to us what, what the rankings are about and how that plays into the NCAA tournament. Boy, it's been tough. So so we're we're similar to men's basketball where if, if you win your conference tournament, you get an automatic bid to, to move on to the regional tournament. Um, and there's 26 conferences across the country that, that have automatic bids. There are 72 teams that advance to the regional tournament. The majority of the conferences across the country, those winners are not ranked very well. So they move against kind of the bubble, so to, so to speak. Uh, and last year in my seven years that I've been here, it was the lowest number. It, was, it took the 55th best team to get into regionals. When I first started, it was the mid-60s, and it's moved all the way down into the 50s now. So it's definitely something we're, as an association, looking at and saying, all right, are we seeing a big transition from kind of the – the power five, so to speak, of those guys are getting all of the bids now because they're pouring more and more resources into the into the game itself. 
or is it just a transition from, you know, regional, whatever that's going to be? So we're looking at some data right now and trying to figure a few things out. But now shifting gears, you've, you've had some great student athletes come through here. What, have, in your opinion, is the difference between someone who becomes elite, an elite student athlete in that one two spot that's just incredible and and the other student athletes? And, and how do you continue to develop it's a little extra drive so that every player that comes in gets my philosophy and it the philosophy basically states that it's it's the the absolute bottom line is at the very end of the day it's the player's responsibility to get the job done at the end of the day that the coaching staff and the, the university's here will give them everything they could possibly have to be ready to go but once they peg the ball and hit it i can't do anything more for them i mean i can't hit the ball I can't walk in and substitute a player for a shot. You're you're man on an island for as long as it takes to get that done. So at the end of the day, you've got to take responsibility for being ready and having everything, every shot in the bag that day for that tournament. Um, and those players that understand that they go the extra mile, they take on the additional time that's needed, they work on what they need to work on, not what they feel like working on that time, that's been the extra step and the extra change that I've seen. Um, we had one elite one that just came through, and I'm, I'm sure you've got a question on there for her, but she's currently our assistant, but Cassidy Tier did that. She spent an entire summer developing the two areas of her game that were the weakest and changed it through that entire summer progress and came back and was one of the best we've ever had out here. And, and that was the elite change. We saw it in her the work ethic during her off time that she put in the off hours to get it done. And Cassidy and others, how, how do you stay in touch with them after they've graduated, moved on? And, and I mean, she's pushing right now to get her LPGA yep. card and everything else. Yep. She goes on tour next month. Um, you know, those those alumni come back. We we offer them. We did a, a couple of, of small events over at Virginia. We, we brought them out and, and had kind of an alumni day out there to be able to take care of things. Our event at the Gold Rush, we'll see some alumni come back um, February 27th and 28th at Old Ranch Country Club. Um, they'll come out and watch and support the team and kind of be at the old golf course and get the nostalgia factor again. Uh, we, we've got our phone-a-thon coming tomorrow. I'm sure a few of our alumni are going to get some phone calls from some of our, our current players that they were friends with. Um, so we, we contact them there. But you know, when the players are brought in here, we talk about giving back. We talk about being a part of the program and knowing that we're going to give so much to you that – in time, when they continue to grow and establish themselves, they're going to give back to us. Um, so we breed that amongst them, and they know that. So our, our culture has been that way. And they know that when they get a chance to do it, they're always going to be able to have a chance to come back. So they utilize, if it's not playing, there's all sorts of things that they're doing in their lives that they're giving back and using for us. Now, speaking of the Gold Rush, you've helped build that tournament and grow it. Share with us the value of that to the program and to the community. It's been huge. Uh, the club's really, really getting on fire for this event now, and they've actually created a, a small subcategory just for the Gold Rush. The president of the club now sits on it. We had a meeting with him last week, and uh, their association-wise, they're, they're getting more and more volunteers. I've never gotten as much advertising with the inside of the club as possible. I see flyers all over now in the club. It's up in the locker rooms. It's on email blasts, um, and I'm starting to get people calling about how can I come help, which is huge. Um, so we're hoping for a big amount of spectators amongst the community. A lot of the the members that are there, a couple other organizations too, the Century Club and and the um, the the back or the 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 Nine Hole Rec uh, Women's Club has also stepped up involved and gotten involved in the the event as well. 
Um, so we're seeing a community involvement around it, which has been awesome. The event itself, um, we've gotten some some very good feedback from former or coaches that have have come on how well it's run. The location's perfect. They, everybody wants to come to Southern California. Really easy to get to for either flying in Orange County or Long Beach has been easy for most of the you know teams across the nation to do it. Um, and we're starting to see some very large or very um, high end teams begin to contact us about the opportunity to come in and and play in our event. So um, I don't have a field finalized for next year. Um, we have some. Uh, we have three top forty teams this year that are coming to this event, which is great. Um, next year's field looks really solid because uh, our date got a little bit better, I think. So we're we're seeing it grow. Um, to be one of the, not necessarily most premier, but one of the great early events for teams to go to. Um, and as long as our weather holds up, this, this rain's kind of killing us right now. But uh, if that holds up and we get sunshine like we're supposed to, it should be a fantastic event. Now, now last year for two rounds, you were going toe-to-toe with SC and mm-hmm. others. Um, what does it take to be an elite team? Boy, uh, the amount of consistency that they have. Uh, top to bottom, every player is a number one. Like that's that's the hardest part is is if one of them's having a bad day, the other one picks them up. For us, sometimes it's it's if our top players didn't perform well that day, our our back end can't quite play at the level that they are. So it's difficult to get, it's difficult to pick up a player that may be having a slightly off day. At SC, it doesn't matter. The number one could be faltering, and the number five is going to shoot you know four under for that day, and it'll be fine. The way that they closed every tournament round was what got us. They they had their top two players birdied, I think, five of the last seven holes to, to beat us that day to do it. And to watch it, I mean, it, you're, you're, oh, in golf it's nice. You're cheering for everybody to play really well. But to actually watch that happen was just some phenomenal golf to be able to, to, to watch and see. That's what an elite championship team does is when they're under the gun and they have to get it done, they do it. And what is what is our team – learn from being in that environment and being able to compete and working to compete on that level? Well, you know, last year we took it, you know, they were number one at the time. And for the team to see that and take away and say, all right, we just went toe-to-toe with the number one team in the country. Like, that's how close we are. Even at home, they weren't afraid, but we took and we weren't afraid to go against them and compete against them. The hard part in golf, though, sometimes is you're not playing an opponent. You're playing really just the golf course. So, the players are kind of trying to balance both ways of like, all right, I really want to beat this person I'm playing against today, <laughs> but I still need to main, maintain focus of what I have in front of me on the golf course itself. So we stayed, regardless of what was going on around us, we stayed inside of our game plan, played really well, and this at the end of the day, where did the cards fall? Did I win or did I lose? Or you know, how much did I lose by? So we we were very happy with our score. It wasn't quite enough to win, but it it progressed and moved us forward as a team to say, all right, we have the ability. What we're doing right now is working, and we have the ability to compete at the highest level. And that was big for them to take away. Golf's a game of adversity. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I joke because uh, you know I, I play army golf, left, right, left, right. But uh, with all that adversity that that our our student athletes face, what life experiences or coaching experiences do you share with them to help them be able to fight through the adversity? Um. You know, I take a little bit from what, what Pete Carroll is uh, and, and says and always believes that even when it's really hard and even when it's not so good, you take the the, the flip side of it is, is it's going to get better. And so when you're on that upswing back up is when it gets really fun again. So you're constantly pushing to get to that point of 
let's get back up and get up and try it again and find that game and that that com- competition competing against one another about we're going to beat it. We're going to beat it. We're going to beat it. We never quit. We never stop. We hit that wall this fall. We fell down really hard. Um, had a bunch of stuff going on internally that we've fixed and got together and went through it and took the winter to kind of really fall, find ourselves. We came back this spring with smiles, with laughter, with chemistry, with a new just vigor of life amongst all of us. And we've just poured it amongst each other and became a team. It was just a delightful two weeks to start this this season with us right now. And I'm seeing a team that wants to go out and compete and be there for each other and and work. And leaving this weekend, it couldn't be a better time for us. Regardless of outcome, I think just as a unit, we're closer and better. And we're only going to get better as we continue to progress. So they're learning. They're wanting to get better every day. They come to practice and work their tail off. And we're just going to use that momentum and move forward with it. Um, the other thing that's been big for us that we've started to do is some meditation to be able to quiet the mind that, that we fight internally upstairs a lot. So we've been focusing a lot on breathing. We've been doing some yoga techniques. We've been doing some extra stretching to kind of just clear ourselves um, and calm ourselves a lot more. We've, so we've integrated that into our routines. Now, a lot of our uh, our fans listening may be struggling with some of those uh, challenges on the <laughs> golf course as well. What, yeah. what advice would you give some of our golfers out there or, or folks that call themselves golfers that may be hackers? You can't fix what's going on on the golf course. you got to play with what you got that day, and you got to make it work. Regardless if you hate it or if you don't like it or you don't know what's going on, focus on what is going on that's really well and use that. And the more you can stay on the positive side – and keep yourself calm, the more relaxed your body is going to be and you'll be able to start swinging clear because eventually it's going to go away. But you can't start making massive changes on a golf course. You can make small and minor ones and then you can just play the game. Like just en- It's a game. Relax and enjoy it because the more of, of the other negative side that comes back, your body tenses up, you don't swing free, your misses get bigger, you get more and more frustrated and then you don't want to be there at all anymore. And it's a four and a half hour day so enjoy the time you got while you're out there but you know honestly we've had players count trees you know tree or windows on golf courses if they happen to be uh you know houses out there somebody completely take their mind off of what's happening in front of them to calm themselves down and get back to basics and just get back to playing the game now joey in closing uh, what are some things you'd like our fans to know that they may not know about the program right now Oh boy, where do I start? <laughs> um, we've come a long way. We we try to compete at the highest level. We uh, we create one of the best environments as far as a family atmosphere goes. We we care for one another as much as possible, and we grow together. Even though we're large, we're you know nine or ten players at this point in time. Uh, we believe in one another. We're we're blue collared. We, we all have a chip on our shoulder. Some way or another during the recruitment process, somebody said no to them, and we said yes, which is why they're here. They're trying to prove to everybody else that they shouldn't have said no, and we love that mentality of it that we take every day. Um, boy, I, I, I'm hoping to see some of our alumni out on the tour right now. We've become that viable right now of a program. We have some of the best facilities in all of Southern California to do. 
Um, I'm so appreciative of the two clubs that we play at, the private ones that are out there. They do so much for us right now. We've got perfect weather, which most of you out here would probably already see that. Um, but we're a good place and a good home for a lot of good players right now. And that's what we're trying to make sure everybody out there in the country knows and sees. Joey, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Now we need to make sure our fans get out to Old Ranch. So you tell them again about the Gold Rush and when to be there. The Gold Rush Tournament, February 27th and 28th. It's a Monday and Tuesday. Um, if you can make it out at any time on Monday, I, I promise you, if the sun's up, we're playing golf because it's 36 holes that day. So we're going to tee it up at an 8 a.m. shotgun and pretty much play till dark. Uh, and then Tuesday morning will be another 8 a.m. shotgun in the morning. That'll be our final round, and it'll come down to the gun. So uh, we love to have the support. We love to have the spectators that are out there. Our team loves that environment. Um, cheer, but, you know, golf cheer. <laughs> golf clap while you can do it. You know, Not Phoenix Open. Not here, right? Phoenix, no, we're definitely not the 16th, though, at the Phoenix Open. I can promise you that. But we do love having an entourage out there. We don't get an opportunity very often to play in front of fans. It's mostly a couple of parents or alumni that might be up in the area. But when we're at home, boy, we do we love an entourage out there. And we'll perform, I promise. Great. Well, Joey, thanks for your time. Go Beach. Go Beach. The Beach All Access Podcast is a presentation of the Long Beach State Radio Network on K-Beach. Go Beach!